but I would argue that, you know, in general, it is it is kind of uh, incumbent upon um, even your most uh, basic workflows to adopt digital technologies. Hello, welcome to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. And interestingly enough, I'm doing a little bit of uh, market research here around virtual healthcare delivery, remote therapeutic monitoring, telehealth, the like. And what is interesting is that of the respondents, and I want to say there were a couple hundred in this survey, 92% say that they have recently received training, instruction, or enrolled in continuing education courses related to virtual service delivery models. And on top of that, of the practice owners surveyed, 78.8% said that their practice currently delivers or plans to deliver telehealth or virtual services such as remote therapeutic monitoring within the next 12 months. Now, that is interesting in and of itself because as a clinician, I like kind of seeing where the uh, where things are going in the field of just serv- direct service delivery and provision. It's also interesting if you happen to either run a clinic or an organization, you want to begin implementing, or you're thinking about implementing some of these services. What is also um, What also came to light during some of these surveys is that the majority of clinic owners and department heads and the like, while they have responded that they see the value in uh, remote patient monitoring, for example, um, and they have taken courses on it and they plan to deliver it, very few of them, less than 50%, have actually begun to evaluate RTM tools in their clinic, which to me would indicate, and this is borne out true in my uh, research and my consulting with uh, healthcare organizations and healthcare organizations that are or healthcare technology companies that are involved in remote therapeutic monitoring is that there's just a lot of hesitancy among the the decision makers in healthcare settings, whether it be ambiguity around how they're going to take those tools and implement them or integrate them in their workflows or um, just questions about billing and ROI. So it's interesting to see if you want to learn more about that, head on over to strategy.rehabupracticesolutions.com. Book a call with me. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Anyways, this week, speaking of technology, virtual service delivery, and the like, I am having a conversation, I'm sharing a conversation with Devin Mobley from Calviant Healthcare Solutions. They're a healthcare technology consulting firm. Essentially, they help build software and workflows for organizations looking to implement technology into the administrative function of delivering care and also the patient experience, patient engagement side of things. So one thing that is interesting to note is that, and Devin makes this uh, point early on in the conversation, is that 
virtually every other um, industry or business has a lot of the administrative functions automated or virtually synced. For example, um, online scheduling, appointment reminders, uh, text messages, push notifications if you've got an app or something like that. Healthcare is one of the few laggards in that area <laughs> where they just, uh, we haven't done a good job implementing that. Now, part of that might be, and we talked a little bit about it in this in the episode, some of that might be related to integration and HIPAA security and compliance and, and all of that. But the other piece is that a lot of healthcare organizations have already in place certain clunky siloed pieces of software. So it's hard to make them all work together. And then the fact that clinicians and organizations are just resistant to change, right? Um, so this is an interesting conversation. We don't talk so much about service delivery, virtual service delivery here. We really talk about the kind of a high level, the philosophical approach to implementing technology within the business of healthcare, both on the admin side, the patient engagement side, decreasing barriers uh, to adoption um, and reducing the friction for, cl- uh, well, not only clinicians, but also patients to adopt and to use these tools, these portals, these pieces of technology and software that can make life a lot easier, can improve clinical outcomes, increase continuity of care, um, improve communication among providers and patients. Um, So how do we do that or how do we think about building that into the process of delivering care? So hopefully you find this conversation um, insightful and interesting and uh, entertaining. Um, hopefully you walk away with really just some ideas about if you're planning on integrating some technology in your own practice or your own um, clinic, or if you're on the uh, supplier side and you have a device or you have a tool, um, thinking about how your tool, how your device fits within the workflows of a, of a regular clinic or a, a normally operating clinic. So without further ado, here's Devin Mobley from Calvian Health talking about integrating technology into the process of healthcare. Well, hey, Devin, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. I'm excited about talking really about technology and its impact in care and patient experience and all of that. But before we dive into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your experience, and what led you to what you're doing now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my name is Devin Mobley. I am the head of business development for a healthcare tech company called Calviant, uh, sometimes Calviant Healthcare Solutions, depending on who we're talking to. Um, and our uh, main reason for existence is that uh, the founders, uh, all of us who founded the company, there's uh, four of us, we are all software developers that started working together in a specialty hospital environment that was at the time pretty forward thinking when it came to, I think, creating new interfaces and, and ways to integrate technology into workflows um, in a specialty hospital setting. And so um, fast forward and we all, after leaving that organization, came back together and wanted to continue doing work in healthcare. Um, we're all really passionate about healthcare. We all, to some degree, consider ourselves, though we're not clinicians, consider ourselves healthcare professionals, um, kind of alongside software developer, engineer, right? And so. Um, because uh, the importance of healthcare and the many, uh, many needs that the industry has, we uh, wanted to see what we can contribute. So we have a, uh, we work a lot with Cerner clients because that's where our expertise is. 
um, but we work with uh, with pretty much any uh, any EHR and and any type of uh, uh, healthcare workflow. So, awesome. And one of the things we were talking about last time we met was about the whole idea of technology and the implementation of digital channels and what that does to things like patient experience, patient engagement, or even compliance with the recommendation of their their clinicians. So. Given that as kind of like the backdrop, what are some maybe simple ways that clinics or organizations maybe are going about their usual workflows, but they're inadvertently hindering retention or great patient experiences with the way their technology is being implemented or used in their workflows? Yeah, yeah, it's a very important question. I think um, kind of at the outset, it's it's also very important to, I guess, level set that um, I, I remember one speaker put it really well that the healthcare system, a hospital, a clinic, anything, they're complex systems. And so it's really, really hard to like point the, uh, the you know, all the blame or even yeah. even close to the majority of the blame to any one factor. It's super multifactorial and that's just how healthcare is. Everything is is complex. It's just like anything in bioscience, biology. It just, it just, it's kind of, it seems like it's that way by nature. Um, one of the factors that I would point to is that um, digital technology in healthcare was adopted somewhat forcefully in a lot of ways. Um, you know, EHRs came around and then not too long after that, it was uh, required that, I don't know how it works outside of say like a hospital-based clinic, but um, you know, there's a lot of regulation as to, you know, meaningful use and um, the sort of the digital requirements of offices. There are plenty of offices even today that, you know, tend to circumvent that one way or the other. and and that may work for them in their specific use case. Um, but I would argue that, you know, in general, it is it is kind of uh, incumbent upon um, even your most uh, basic workflows to adopt digital technologies. Uh, and that's kind of really our hypothesis behind patient engagement. The first main product we do both at Calvin, we both do, do both products and services. And we like that because we get to uh, cover a wide variety of use cases. Um, and we kind of started in the patient experience and patient engagement realm because one, we knew kind of some workflows to solve there. Uh, and two, it, it, it can really be a high and easy ROI sort of payoff uh, for, for a clinic. Like, um, so for instance, we offer uh, appointment reminders uh, software that is um, integrated a little bit better than our competitors and has better digital in interfaces, which is something that I'm sure we'll talk about as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, being able to reduce no-show and, uh, have more efficiencies in your scheduling slots is just an easy win for for clinics to be able to unlock some some savings there. Um, so as far as the whole inadvertently uh, hindering retention or great ex patient uh, experiences and that sort of thing, I think that the main thing that I'd point to is that uh, what we would do if your clinic or uh, your operations were in a different business is we would just automate it. We would just put that within the technology and we would make it really easy for you to use, um, you know, pretty much any retail shop these days, for instance, has scheduling software, reminder software, uh, everything that's super out of the box. It's really affordable. You know, we're talking like tens or twenties dollars a month for each piece. Um, it's not, it's not as integrated, but the, the, the difference, the key difference here is that you're required to use an EHR, not like a CRM or something like that. Yeah. And ultimately, EHRs don't have good interfaces from both from a data perspective and just from a workflow perspective. So a lot of times, even though you're required to use them in a lot of cases, 
uh, it, it ultimately becomes more of a burden. Um, and I would say that that's happened kind of, uh, if you were to kind of take a, take a very macro view, that's kind of helped it happened all across healthcare, um, really across the board. Uh, what has become a very in-person experience in healthcare has now become very data entry and, and cumbersome exactly. to be completely honest. Yeah. Now, what might be the, the bigger driving factor behind that? Is that because a lot of these EHR companies have their own proprietary tools that they're wanting you to use, or is there like an API sharing? Is I'm sure there's cybersecurity and data uh, safety and all that plays into it, HIPAA and all that. But I guess what are the bigger, the, the pinch points that are keeping it so disjointed? Yeah, that uh, this is a topic that we fire ourselves up in the office uh, a lot about. <laughs> I would say that the that you're right that, that the the moat to create good software in healthcare is just too big. Um, there have been there have been companies um, and open source initiatives to try and recreate the EHR. Um, there are even initiatives, and some of those issues initiatives are regulated. For instance, um, like the regulation of implementing, uh, I think it's I believe it's through meaningful use, um, the third version. I could be totally wrong on that, but the, this idea of creating a standardized way of system sharing data, um, those things exist. Um, ways to uh, interject clinical decision support, uh, those sorts of tools, those exist, those standards exist, even some really great implementations of those. But ultimately, the crux of the issue is that the big EHR vendors grabbed a hold of the market early, and then they were able to dig their moat and create it very, very wide. Yeah. So it's very, very difficult to, to jump that and create good software. Um, to some degree, I think that uh, smaller clinics and smaller clinic systems uh, that aren't connected to inpatient services tend to have a little bit easier route to go because they can kind of treat some of their operations as small businesses and use, uh, you know, non-healthcare specific tooling. Uh, the risk there, of course, is the, the HIPAA uh, concerns yeah. and things yeah. like that. You have to... Exactly. And you have to know, I think it's just a scare tactic, really, or not a scare tactic, but more of just like a fear. A lot of people won't go down that route because they don't know the questions to ask their vendors yeah. in order to secure like the proper BAAs and those types of things that like, for instance, us in the company secure right at the get go uh, whenever we work with with people. So, yeah, I think I, I think I would point to the, the unfortunately, the gatekeeping and the and the um, the moat that the large HR vendor um, uh, companies have created and that and that goes part and parcel with consolidation right so in the past 10 or 12 years we've seen a huge consolidation movement into larger systems specifically so that there's cost sharing in adopting digital products yeah. so it's this double-edged sword that's really really interesting yeah no i think your point about not knowing the questions to ask i think even those the private healthcare independent healthcare clinics out there like we're not, we didn't go to school for this. We don't, we don't have any idea about technology. We turn the computer on, we, we log into our EHR and we start documenting. So you start talking about, you know, security protocols and this, that, and the other, and it, people's eyes just kind of glaze over. So it, it's easier <laughs> to spend a couple extra hundred bucks and get something that, you know, on paper is, you know, integrates with your EHR and is, is safe. Right. That's right. That's right. And the, the, the internal owner of that is also really important. I can't tell you how many small clinics we've worked with that, you know, it's just, it's some office manager or case manager that ends up kind of like taking over yeah. uh, as what essentially amounts to a 
a bit of an IT role, right? And so that's how small businesses work. And I think that, that there's a, a bit of a, that's okay. You know what I mean? Um, if you're the owner of a clinic or something, you really have to just kind of like find the right solution that works for you. Um, primarily focusing on just good people who are willing to take ownership of those things. Um, but when it gets really risky like that, it does it does create a lot of fear and anxiety, unfortunately. And I don't think there's a lot of good resourcing out there. And it, what resources are out there are really, really gatekept for your larger healthcare systems and people with funds to be able to access them at the at the ready. It seems. Yeah. Well, so we've talked about some of the challenges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but how can if you do it right, like how can technology, digital patient pathways, all of that, how can that improve retention compliance? Et cetera, it for your patients, for the patients in the clinic. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think that there's there's a bit of like a macro view. You can look at yeah. this, and there's a bit of a of a micro view as well. Um, I'll just start with the micro view that I think um, to the extent that uh, that you as a clinic can put on a sort of small business hat on and say, you know, what are the things as I scale that what am I feeling right now? Um, so I, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I've uh, been in the creation of several businesses. And one of the things that you hear a lot in sort of the startup world, at least, is create processes that are going to inherently not scale. And only when they hurt, then find a way, way to scale them. Um, that's in the context of software. So that's like infinitely scalable. It's a completely different uh, beast. But for small business owners, I think there's a bit of a principle at work there, right? That um, how can we um make consistent experiences for our patients and as we do that find processes that allow us to ensure that even with things like turnover or uh you know staff staffing issues or uh changes in the way that you're going about say like a billing process or something um it's just it's really kind of all about there's a, there's a there's a concept of processes and as, from a software perspective as a software developer we always tell our clients, especially our custom software development clients, no, uh, no software solution is going to survive the process that it's built on. So if the process is bad, then it's it's just inherently going to break, and it's not going to to fix the problems that that you intend to do. So all that to say, I think that that just automation is a, is an interesting kind of buzzword, but I think what it means for a small business owner is how can I find the things that are that are really hurting us and really keeping us from creating a consistent experience for our, my patients and then finding a way to automate that. And there's so many great ways to do that without being a software developer. You know, if you're a super small clinic and you're using sort of cloud-based uh, kind of consumer level or, or small business level tools, then like, what would it look like for you to learn a little bit of like Zapier or like have like, you know, some things that, that help data flow back and forth yeah. That's not going to get you all the way there, um, but the tooling is there, and it, and it is a way to start learning how to do this process creation piece of it. Um, the macro, the ma sort of macro view of this is really just that it's it's multi again it's multifactorial, and there's things that are evolving. But there's important hypotheses that I don't see tech companies kind of approaching or solving, which is another great uh, you know every time someone is like. Uh, creates a new business or or nonprofit or something like that. It's because everyone who's the incumbent and do, is doing it wrong somehow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we kind of feel that way with healthcare tech right now, unfortunately. But I think I think there's something there. Um, I think one of the things that you look at is that um, 
the healthcare in general is suffering from very, very acute, uh, very real on the ground issues. And unfortunately, tech uh, tries to go for the high value, high innovation type solutions. And they, and they also do that do so in such a way that that maybe doesn't um, really solve the problem in a way that is empathetic to providers, patients, and, and those types of things. Um, uh, so I, I think that two, two major things that I would point to is, one, uh, I had a, a, a provider, a, a physician in a fairly large hospital system tell me recently that he thinks the biggest risk in healthcare right now is patient trust, that patients yeah. are going to continue to erode their trust, and it's going to be a very, very slow, slow burn, boiling frog effect. But we're going to look back in 25, 30 years, maybe even sooner, and if, if nothing is done and solutions aren't made. And, and really look at kind of the, la the last 10 years or so up till now being a time where we just started taking a, a, an even steeper nosedive when it comes to creating trust within our patients. Um, and then the other thing I would say is just that like, how can we free up providers to just do what providers do best? You know what I mean? I think, um, I, I know kind of on our little agenda, we might talk about AI, but I think one of the things that's really exciting about the future is that, you know, as a patient, I kind of want to interface with my doctor more. I want to not feel like my questions are being rushed. Yeah. Um, and I think that studies have shown that that patient trust is actually really key, um, that the, the, the clinical outcomes are better, um, that the financial outcomes are better uh, and all that. And we can dig into that, but that's kind of the things that I would point to both from a macro and micro perspective. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up trust. We talk about it a lot, both in the clinic and in our consulting work, like Trust is kind of the linchpin for healthcare because if a, if a patient doesn't trust the doctor, it doesn't matter if the doctor is giving them like the the information they need to solve their problem or you know cure their disease or you know manage their symptoms, they're not going to listen to them because they don't trust them. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, and they're not going to uh, do this like actually go forward with the treatment plan. Exactly. And, yeah. uh, one thing I think about a lot too. Uh, my wife's a nurse and she talks about this a lot is this idea of patient self-advocacy. I think that that's becoming increasingly important and previous generations tended to just trust doctors and not self-advocate. Exactly. And I think that there's a really, really great outcome when it comes to patient provider working together and patients being willing and able and have the time frame in a, in a visit situation to actually self-advocate. Um, and that I think that that will only lead to better treatment plans. It has to. Yeah. Well, and so kind of on this this topic, then tools that we might implement in a clinical workflow that can help increase trust with the patient. Are we talking um, are we talking like communication tools or, or, or device or software or whatever, or maybe it's educational component? Like, how do you see that kind of helping build the trust between the clinic or the organization or the provider and the patient? Yeah, that's right. I think I think that. Um... You know, if I were to look, if I were to kind of project forward to, to reverse engineer an answer to this question, what I would point to is is all the things, all of the the futuristic type things that are going to be able to free you up as a provider to interface with your patient. Um, however, if I'm looking more at the near term, I'm going to be looking at things like how patients do communicate back with clinics. Yeah. Right now, we kind of are in this interesting thing where uh, patient patient portals are almost required, right? Um, and uh, almost every terrible. HR, and they're all <laughs> terrible, absolutely horrendous. 
And one of our uh, sort of principles with uh, digital product creation is we don't, we want to eliminate logins where we can. So the reason that we kind of chose Cerner is because we know how to integrate while using the existing login, the existing Cerner login. And that's a small but really powerful thing because now you're not having to switch over to a different tab or whatever and you know go to a completely different system. It should be integrated better. And, and that's the type of interface that we should go for from a digital product perspective. Um, the other thing uh, that I would point to uh, kind of near term is kind of going back to the patient portal thing, you know, whenever whenever you have a, a small question, I think it's very common for people, especially if they're anxious about something, let's say like a, a patient with like, that was just diagnosed with something pretty big, like an oncology patient or say like a pregnancy patient or, you know, a, a patient who's expecting those, those situations create anxiety, even in healthy patients uh, and otherwise healthy patients, I should yeah. say. And then they, they need small questions asked that they're not, that it, it feels like the patient is almost in the situation where they have to jot everything down and make sure that they get everything asked. And, Absolutely, you know, like yeah. I do that, like with my mechanic and, you know, like my, my, my healthcare providers as well. It's like, I want to make sure that I get my questions answered, but there needs to be asynchronous access to this information. And that asynchronous access is extremely critical, I think, to the patient trust in the immediate term. Now, right now you, you have that, but it's behind a patient, it's behind a patient portal. Um, it's not integrated across providers. And, and this is where I know you and I have talked about this from the Calvin's perspective. We have a secure chat tool that the hypothesis is built on is exactly that. If we can uh, increase the amount of providers that are say like on a communication tool and increase the ability for async communications, then frankly, it kind of has downstream effects on everything else. Your patients aren't having to come in as often. Uh, they're not they're not taking up slots for say like if we could kind of use this terminology like a like a lower value or lower impact type visit. Yeah. Um, every your schedule slots are all going to be are all going to be high impact and high value um, and, and focused on on and so you you kind of like look at the downstream effect of how you can use uh, the right tool for the right job um, asynchronous communication telehealth appointments uh, you know rehab uh in 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 office visits uh outpatient procedures all those kind of need to be an arsenal for for a given depending on specialty obviously um and used in the most efficient ways i think um <clears throat> excuse me and i think uh ha having that asynchronous communication is really powerful for patients and i think something that patients are kind of expecting without realizing that they're expecting it I just don't think patients are using patient portals, like frankly. Yeah. I think if they're looking for maybe lab results, but outside of that, um, I don't think that they're using it. Yeah, or they, you know, they they sent a message to the doctor or something like that, and the doctor said, "Oh, we'll upload it in the patient portal," and that's the only <laughs> that's the only time they're yeah. logging in. Um, would you see it being something that's more um, maybe individual specific versus general? Like you you mentioned having asynchronous access to information. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, oh man, like what what if a a clinic or a clinician or an organization has like a a library bank of maybe informational videos or something like that pregnancy patient that you mentioned like somebody they you know they they just found out they have this condition they don't know what to expect that you see them and then you can send like maybe an automated workflow or an automated sequence if you would of like okay these are the main questions you might be having ahead of your appointment make sure you know xyz is in place or maybe you want to think about this or think about that like do you see that being part of it 
Yes, absolutely. I think, I mean, really, I think all this um, comes down to, you know, the, using the interfaces that, that patients are used to. Um, this is why uh, this is why uh, SMS is so powerful, frankly. Uh-huh. Like, so in the future of Calviant, like we would love for everyone to be using secure chat and for, for that to be kind of, you know, a huge product. And, and we kind of take a real um, curiosity and scientific approach. Like we know that the, that the market won't use our product unless it's useful, right? So we're kind of committed to building something that we think is really cool, but also is super useful to our, our users. But SMS is the thing that people use, right? That's the reason that, that even, even um, you know, like consumer goods uh, have gotten to where like marketing is happening more and more over SMS. Um, so I think what we see ourselves building out of, and I think that this is just our hypothesis that, uh, on, that I would share with anyone over the market is that, you know, you, you already have this interface that patients are already, you know, wanting to use, that they use it every day. And they're willing to use it with like someone like a healthcare provider. And then it, all we have to do as engineers is sort of find the technical, alleviate the technical challenges of it being secure, of it being uh, integrated. You know, like for instance, um, with our secure chat, we can we can integrate multiple teams to be able to chat with a patient in, in kind of one interface. With SMS coming from a single number, you can't do that. You can't like handle replies in that way, right? Um, however, but... I don't think ultimately, I think ultimately we're still in this going the right direction, still going with SMS. Um, and the reason being, uh, one thing I saw the other day was a, a study that uh, took a hospital that already had an existing practice of, uh, of calling, uh, all their case managers would call every patient in order to reduce readmissions, which is the process that they adopted. I think it's a great idea. Um, and what they found is if they replaced those phone calls just with an SMS checkup, that not only was it at parity with the phone calls, it actually incre- uh, reduced the readmissions by a large percentage, 30 or 40%, if I remember correctly. And the reason is, is because patients were most likely to respond and check in and because you weren't being disruptive, that you were, it was something that, uh, again, you're used to receiving text message notifications, et cetera, you could say, okay, you know, I, nothing feels wrong right now, but if something does feel wrong, then you have a channel that you can immediately respond and notify someone like a stakeholder of your healthcare that something could be going on. Um, so I think that, you know, it, it's really about leveraging in the near term, it's about leveraging the things that are, that make the most sense moving forward, that, that are meeting our patients where they're at, um, that are using industry standards that are, you know, that are elsewhere and, and then like, and really just leaning into those, the more we named our platform channels, because the more you can open up the communication channel between referring providers, providers to provider and everything, all that to the patient, then everything from financial to clinical outcomes all go up as far as we can tell from the data. Yeah, no, that's awesome that you, you mentioned the, the SMS idea, because the reality is like, so at home, we've got five kids. It's crazy. We do go do something with the doctor. They're going to call us and follow up. I can't tell you how many times, like just for a phone call to work out in a busy family schedule, like all the stars that have to align for, you know, me to be available for my wife to be available while the clinician is available to make the phone call. Like how much friction are you removing by just being a simple asynchronous interaction 
that doesn't, like you said, that is the value in the, in the synchronous interaction or is it, is the value in the, the patient getting access to the information and being able to kind of raise the, the alarm up the flagpole if they need to notify somebody or give people a thumbs up if they're good. And the value in my opinion would be like, it's just that it's having the access, right? It's opening up that channel. It's, it's the ability for the patient to click the button that says, yes, I'm okay. Or no, I'm not. Who do I need to talk to? <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. And that, and if they're already interfacing with that, I mean, uh, uh, a tech CEO I follow said this once is like the reduction of friction is one of the most uh, underestimated forces in yeah. the world. You reduce that friction, then you can do things like you were alluding to earlier. You can send your patient satisfaction surveys. You can send education. You can, what we have a tool where it, the reminder system will also send the, the online paperwork so that ideally you eliminate everything that's in office so that you're purely focusing on what the right tool for the right job, the in-person synchronous, like what is valuable for that. And the more that you do that for the patient and the clinic and also free up the provider is it's a win-win, I think. Yeah. Well, and so we've kind of dabbled into that, like how can technology and tools improve care from a patient perspective? I think the big one that we're kind of laying out here is that if you use some of these tools, you can take, like you said, some of those in-office workflows out of the office so that when the patient comes in, they're right there, they're getting what is valuable to them, which is the the interaction and the, the relationship building really with their clinician. Um, right. And you mentioned this earlier, so we're going to dabble into this topic now. So the big topic these days is AI, chat GPT, and artificial intelligence and algorithmic learning. And um, I guess just kind of back up big picture, like what do you see and how do you see that being used in healthcare, like big level, high level picture? Um, and then we can kind of dive into the things that people are worried about, like will it replace for providers? You know, how can it make us more effective as clinicians, that kind of stuff. But let's start high level. How right. can AI kind of improve things across the healthcare industry and then we'll kind of dive in from there right yeah yeah it's, it's a fascinating topic um you know it was interesting just that like in the past 10 years or so there was kind of these three edge technologies ai blockchain and like xr ar vr and it seems like ai is certainly already one we had this hype this hype frame for blockchain and web3 for a long time and uh, frankly, as a software developer, I was never really on it, to be completely honest. Uh, I just I knew that the tech wasn't there, the tech infrastructure. Um, what ChatGPT has done and, and just OpenAI as a as a initiative has really unlocked just uh, kind of a, a democratization and also a some infrastructure that is needed for the industry. And so, you know, even long before that, there were some great AI companies that were focused in areas of clear need. Um, so the fo that focus was in things like uh, uh, diagnostic imaging uh, in areas like um, like like billing, these the sort of algorithms that like billing offices kind of go through in order to ensure that they're billing correctly and that they reduce their uh, denials back. That is kind of like perfect use case for like a uh, for a neural network um, in the way that it works. Um, and what what ChatGPT has done is it's it's taken the power of that of the AI and the, the learning and, and really put it in a human language, right? So that's like, that's kind of the thing that it did because it's a language model at its core, but also interfaces with these other uh, sort of uh, learning models that are based off of information on the internet. In, in the broad scheme of things, the way I look at it is healthcare, again, is, is a complex system made up of complex systems. 
And one of the things that AI does really well is that it, it takes care of data. It takes inputs of data that aren't as discrete as say like a lab, what single lab value. Um, it's great at taking those multifactorial, those, those large data sets that include both discrete values and you know textual values, et cetera, and kind of filtering it into something of value. And that's why I think that, uh, you know, we call it a neural network. It's very similar to how the human brain works. And that's what humans are good at. Uh, we take sort of a, a complex set of data inputs and are able to come up with something of value on the other end of it, a decision or an action or something, something like that. Um, in healthcare, I think that because there's so much complexity, AI is going to be extremely helpful. And it already has in a lot of ways. The way I see it playing out is I see AI and providers and operators working really in tandem with one another. And again, like done rightly, it's going to be finding the right tools for the right job, keeping providers at the, at the front and center where they can in, continue to increase patient trust and build patient trust and, and do the things that the human brain does better, um, while also at the same time freeing them up to uh, not have to worry about the discrete value. So if you think about what has happened, the reason that the providers and operators and every everyone who's who's in the EHR, who's operating the clinic, the reason that they are kind of become these data entry specialists is because ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to report on discrete values. Like your note has to have these certain yeah. uh, lab values. They have to have certain things that are all in support of this diagnosis, which ultimately is in support of the billing level, right? Um, so I think that uh, if we can take away the the over, um, what would be the word, like the crutch that discrete data values have become, the more we can kind of unlock those things. So a really good example would be, you know, uh, back in the day, a, uh, a provider would either write out a note or dictate a note or something like that. Someone with, with clinical context or themselves later would go and review that. And there's this synthesis process that happens, right? That then allows them to come up with the proper diagnoses, the proper treatment plan, et cetera. And, um, and then that goes into a historical record for, for future use. Uh, and it also goes in support for the bill. Well, we've taken that power of using that narratival data away because we're reliant on discrete data points like yeah. lab values and, and check something boxes, that you key numbers. in, check boxes. Exactly. So what, what AI I think is gonna, one of the small but really powerful things that it's going to do is it's gonna allow us to rely back on narratival data, which I think is extremely important. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I like that a lot. Um, from a, I guess you, you kind of mentioned it, putting the clinician at the center of it. I think one of the big, I've had conversations with people this week and most of the people that when I bring up chat GPT or AI or something like that, they're like, oh, it's going to replace us all and we're all going to be out of a job. And I hear you saying in a different tune, right? <laughs> yes, you do. I I have the same, the same uh, I'm in the same boat to some degree because I'm a software developer and like I've been using, uh, there's a tool called GitHub Copilot. I've been using that for about a year now. and it writes code. It writes good code. Uh, it also writes really bad code. It's it's almost like uh, this. It, it's kind of unpredictable at the moment. But I think with ChatGPT, I think that newer versions are going to be using GPT-4, the newest version of that particular language model. And I, I think that ultimately, 
what most of us in, in our industry and the software development side have leaned on is that it is a great tool for use, but ultimately my job is to be there as an engineer, not so much as the output of code. So yeah. I'm there to solve problems from a higher level in a way that the human brain kind of understands the systems and the, and the complexities that is really, really hard to model in, in, in so far as, a, as an AI or machine learning model can model it. Um, and so the best use of this tool is as a co-pilot, as a pair programmer, as someone who's alongside me helping unlock and creating efficiencies in my workflow, uh, but not necessarily replacing me. Uh, I think that something very similar is the case and, and probably even to a, to a better degree with providers because what you have inherently, like in my, I, it's just me in a, in a screen, right? So that's that's my work is pretty much that. With a with a provider, your your work is with a patient. It's the, the whole point is to be caring for and treating a patient. And, and ultimately, I think, you know, there's a whole set of philosophical questions about, you know, like, can AI be conscious and will yes. those consciousness replace? Okay, so like barring that conversation, I have a philosophy degree, so I'm totally happy to go down that route. But barring that conversation for the sake of the audience, I think one of the things that is really important to remember is that uh, human beings are social animals. And if the pandemic taught us one thing, it's that we can't go without social interaction, in-person exactly. social interaction for very long. And I think especially whenever you look back at kind of what we've touched on in this conversation about clinical outcomes, patient self-advocacy, patient trust, those happen within relationships. And it may sound cliche to say, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, a lot of the reason that a lot of business and especially a lot of healthcare happen the way that they do in this in-person way is because that's just kind of how our societies run. And I think it's all based in just human nature. That's, that's who we are as humans. And I, I think that I think that ultimately, if you were to ever attempt to replace a provider with an AI completely, that you would see uh, a drop in patient outcomes. That's my hypothesis. I don't know how strongly I hold to it, but I think given the yeah the, the kind of like framework that we're working with here that we that I've kind of discussed in this conversation, I, I just don't. That's kind of what I'm betting on, I guess. And and I see that it being really a uh, a, a boon as a tool and uh, something that's really going to allow us to live a little bit more of a human life if you think about it yeah. than what maybe we've been in healthcare recently well and maybe even make us more more effective right like just take you know ai combing the literature for example like clinical decision making tools the the reality is that like i can see a patient in the clinic and i could spend 3 4 hours combing the literature for this specific patient situation, what they've got going on and what the literature might say about the best way to treat them, you know, AI can do it in like a minute and a half. And then that means that yeah. I'm not doing that for three hours and I'm spending more time with the patients, you know? Yeah. This process that you're kind of touching on, I think is this idea of synthesis. Yeah. I do this a lot in my job where I have to, where I have to go in and look at existing code or existing tech designs and, you know, like synthesize what's going on in order to form a better opinion and a better vision of what we should go after. Um, you know, that happens a lot in, in a variety of different professions. And in, in healthcare, I think, you know, if imagine that you as a provider had one or two patients, you could, if that were economically feasible, you could set and, and just literally set and think about 
the, the, the treatment plan. You could think about the diagnosis. You could, you could take the most complex cases and move the needle forward like a little bit in all likelihood because you have this attention span that's limited and time is limited that and then you could be you know implementing the, the most cutting edge research you could possibly even do research yourself in a way uh, and contribute to that science but the problem is is that just that's that's really just not efficient but to the degree that that synthesis of scientific research and data that your patient is telling you and data that your patient's families are telling you and all that information in order to get the right true picture of what's going on and then therefore be able to create a treatment plan for that. I, I think that would hopefully, like you said, make that just more efficient. And again, making, if you kind of want to tie it back to business, making every slot that you're taking up in your day, as far as in clinic, super high value and super impactful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're doing from a, like a reimbursement perspective, you know, the highest, the highest reimbursed services in healthcare are your, your consultation, those, those appointments where you're kind of diagnosing or setting the treatment plan, all the other stuff, the follow-up visits, the, you know, I'm mean, from the physiotherapy, the, the, the PT world, like all those follow-up mm -hmm. sessions are not reimbursed at the right level or not the right level, but at the same level, because they're, the insurance company doesn't see those as, as valuable. The valuable piece is we got your clinical expertise to evaluate the patient, to determine what was going on, and then to set up the treatment plan, right? So if, <laughs> if you can push right. more, more of those in a given day, that's good for good for the patients, increases access, and then it's good for the business as well, right? Yeah, that's right. And if you think about it, it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do it the other way around, if you can avoid it. I mean, again, the right tool for the right job is if it's just a simple question, let's let's make that async. If it's yeah. something that can be evaluated telehealth, like let's introduce telehealth into our day if we can, or or find you know uh, people within our clinic who and and I think you know I don't know what your position is on this, but I think also just like uh, there there are certain areas which are kind of barred to certain providers that um, you know like physicians only that could be in the hands of. Uh, mid-levels or even RNs or or therapists or whatever. And I just think like uh, sometimes like that's a really tricky um, kind of bar to like I understand yeah. the challenge that legislators have in order to like find that the right bar for that. But the point is, is that like what are the things that we can make just more accessible? And that means that means taking uh, this sort of bottleneck off of off of the provider and, and also opening up that bottleneck by making them more efficient. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I mean, that's, that is a podcast topic in and of itself, the way that sure. you know, regulation bet. and all that kind of impacts care. But yeah, I agree. Like as much as we can do to open up access and um, give people the the tools to, to access the health they need or the health, the health care that they need in the time they need it with the provider that they need the right we always say like the right treatment for the right person at the right time. Right? <laughs> right? That's right. That's great. Yeah, that's great. So, um, well, we're near the end here. So I always ask this one. So if you could just leave, um, leave the listener with one or two main points about implementing technology or tools in their clinical workflows, um, what would they be? Uh, the tools themselves, like which tools? Well, not even which tools, but like just high level. Like if you're thinking about, mm -hmm doing this, implementing more technology, what are some of the big things that you would want to keep in mind as, as somebody that's seen it done well yeah. and someone that's seen it done not so well? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I would really lean into this principle that, um, 
that a a software solution, a technological solution is not going to survive the process that it's built on. And I think that um, I think that it's okay to say, like, hey, how do we how do we create better processes within the operations and how do we understand them? I think I think part of it is, you know, if you were in a, a, a small business, let's say, especially something like manufacturing, where there's repeatable, a lot of repeatable processes, you tend to think about this first order, right? Um, but if you are in something like healthcare, where everything feels like it's hands-on, um, just because of the nature of the complexity of healthcare, um, you know, I think that it's it's easy to overlook and not think about these things. Where okay, like let's let's isolate the complexity here. Um, one one client that I had uh, whenever I was just doing basic software consulting on my own before getting kind of back in the healthcare world. One of the things that we did when we were talking about their processes, as I said, it sounds like you're having these face-to-face conversations and implementing that process all along the journey that the patient has, when reality is that we can isolate it to just this one instance where they sat down for a 15-minute conversation, and it's kind of like this case management function. You know, case managers, they do that where, they, where they're, they're taking in not just the clinical data points, but also, you know, the uh, social determinants. Um, yeah. like the full picture and then helping coordinate care based or help coordinate based on that. So I would say, think about it as there's complexities everywhere, but what if I, what if I could, what if I could create my processes where the complexity is really limited to that face-to-face interaction? Cause that's where the, the important stuff is going to happen anyways. And you can hash through it there. And, and that would help you go be on the way to create a consistent and, uh, uh, a consistent and and repeatable process for your patients, so that they're they're not surprised. The other thing I would say is, if you're not engaging your patients di- digitally somehow, some way, consistently, then you have you got to start doing that. You got to find a way to make that happen in a way that feels right for you and your clinic. I mean, I think that I think that right now we're in a very mixed population where um, there are patients who prefer to be engaged digitally. And there are patients who uh, prefer to engage in person and really reject. And there's a whole variation yeah. in between that spectrum, right? Uh, the, one of the best things that I, I heard was from a, um, a, a an operator for a really successful uh, rural healthcare system. And one of the things that she said is you have to have a strategy for each of those patient personas. One of the things that we do in marketing, right, is we say, like, um, what are the different personas of people that I'm targeting? And and try to like identify like who those people are. Apologies, middle name. Um. So I'm going to talk over them. I'm going to try to talk over them. To wrap up. So I think that one of the things that that you that you have to do is, like I said, have a strategy for if you have this patient that is like, you know, not having it with the digital stuff. Ha- have a solution that is still kind of repeatable and helpful to them. And to continue to engage their trust, don't treat patients as if they can be, uh, you know, like lost to attrition. And then, as far as the rest of the patient population, that that uh, the digitally engaged population is only going to grow. So time is on your side as you yeah. adopt those strategies. You just got to wait so. long enough, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. And I would say too, like finding the right vendors and people you trust to consult about these things. Like, uh, you know, we can't unfortunately consult with every single one of our clients just because we were doing the building as well. 
But there are people out there who are worth trusting. They can talk about, you know, HIPAA and security, which vendors are right for them and those sorts of things. It, it obviously is, is just another cost amongst many other costs that you have to worry about. But I think that it's a, it can be an investment, especially if you're a growing clinic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Devin, thanks so much for taking the time. If people want to find out more about you, about your work, where can they do that? Yes. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Devin Mobley, D-E-V-O-N-M-O-B-L-E-Y. Um, our website is calviant.com. I'm sure that'll be linked somewhere where they can oh, see yeah. that. Um, and yeah, I'd be happy to meet and just talk healthcare like this or uh, get to know you, hear your problems as an operator or as a clinician and um, or otherwise, if you're interested in our products, then we'd be happy to, to talk about those as well. So, Awesome. Cool deal. Well, thanks so much. Have a good one. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Devin Mobley from Calviant Health. We'll leave uh, uh, all the, the links to his LinkedIn profile, to their website in the show notes. You can head on over to uh, betteroutcomes.show. Click the link over to the website, the podcast website for that. Or you can head on over to RehabUPracticeSolutions.com, click on the drop-down for podcast, find this show, which is 087, and they'll be there in the show notes. One of the things, going back and listening to this conversation again, that I think is worth noting, one, I think it's, it's probably, it's not probably, it is because Devin is not a clinician himself. He's a he's an engineer. He's he's used to building these workflows and creating the system and the process. I think as clinicians, where we just come at it from a different angle, so it's nice to get his perspective. But he said that the the tool itself will not survive the process that is it's built upon. I think a lot of times at least for clinicians and clinicians turn managers or clinic owners or, or something of the like, there's a lot of emphasis placed on the specific process and the workflows. And um, one, of my, one of my clinicians at the clinic that I own and run makes fun of me all the time for talking and using the word iterative a lot. I say, yeah, it's going to be an iterative process while we implement this new technology, while we while we do whatever, right? Whatever whatever it is that we're going to do, whether it be um, rolling out a new automation or a new tool or a new way of delivering services or even just a new process of like onboarding and scheduling patients, it's got to be an iterative process. There's going to be, because each clinic is different and each you know clinical pathway or li- patient life cycle is different, there's going to be some things that are very similar and that are plug and play and then some things that are going to take a little bit of not customization where you're building the entire tool from scratch but a little bit of customization of the workflow itself and i've seen this a a good bit doing work with healthcare technology companies that are you know launching into the u.s market primarily in the uh, physiotherapy or physical therapy space they're realizing that a lot of what they have to do their tool is great a lot of times, most of the times. All the ones I work with, their tools are wonderful. <laughs> but the tools are great. They function well. They do what they're supposed to do. They make the clinician's life easier. They would make the clinician's life easier. The challenge that they run into is that clinicians don't adopt it for whatever reason. And the the main reason when we're looking at it revolves around the the process, 
the like how does this tool fit into what I normally do, the process of my delivering care? If it's a home exercise program platform, for example, I'm used to doing X, Y, Z, and this tool is A, and now I need to like log into another screen or I need to do whatever. So from the from the healthcare tech side, from the from the service provider side, a lot of it is how do we take this tool after you've agreed to implement it in your in your practice, how do we take it and build in the workflow with you so that it is a seamless integration for um, for the clinicians or the 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 end users that are going to be actually in the system every day or on the platform every day? Um, if it's one of those things where it, it becomes too much of a headache or there isn't a lot of guidance, then it fails to get utilized and it gets cut. You know, right? Um, so I've been advising a lot of my clients in this space that are tech companies that are, that are trying to help make the lives of clinicians easier. A lot of what you're going to end up needing to do afterwards, after you make the sale is not just give them the tool and walk away, but there needs to be a very big customer success for lack of a better word or, uh, consultative integration after the fact so that the tool itself gets used so the, the clinicians see the benefit and the ease that it brings to their life. And then also the patients reap the benefit as well. Um, and then being able to obviously bring around some sort of ROI, either in the in the sense of patient engagement, as Devin said, and retention throughout the course of care, decreased utilization rates and all of that, or increased revenue on the billing side in, in, the, um, in the area of like remote therapeutic monitoring or something like that. So just a few thoughts on that. I, lo- I love the idea that the, the process is going to change. It's going to be an iterative process as you um, begin implementing these things in your practice or in a, in a clinical workflow. So that's all I've got this week. If, uh, if you like the show, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It helps people find us. Um, if you want to be updated or stay up to date with all of the shows and episodes and links to guests, profiles and websites and all that, you can sign up at www.betteroutcomes.show. Fill in the form there and we'll we'll send you an email whenever we drop an episode. Usually it's every other week. Um, Recently, we've been on an every week kick just because we've had a ton of interviews. And this is hopefully the first in a series of uh, conversations that we're going to share on the podcast around technology and technological tools uh, in the both the service delivery side, so actual actually delivering remote therapeutic monitoring, for example, or um, virtual service delivery like asynchronous telehealth or synchronous telehealth, but then also on the administrative side, so the like AI for billing, for example, or, or um, using technology to automate patient engagement or something of that nature. So I thought this was a good conversation, this conversation with Devin, because we kind of had this high level discussion or kind of set the groundwork for, okay, if you're going to implement technology, these are some of the things that you want to think about as you roll it out across your clinical workflows and clinical processes. Um, and now the next few that we'll release will be more, um, nitty gritty, so to speak, or specific areas. So service delivery, remote therapeutic monitoring, uh, technology for administrative workflows and patient engagement and all of that. Um, so that's what we've got going on here at the podcast. And if you run a healthcare organization and you want to implement virtual service delivery and you want some help doing that, 
I do that as well um, with what we call the telehealth roadmap. You can head on over to rehabupracticesolutions.com, click on what we do, and then the link for telehealth roadmap. You can read all about it. Um, if you're a healthcare technology company or platform tool or device, and you're looking at making a go at making clinicians' lives easier, uh, either helping them develop or um, deliver virtual services, and you want some help with market uh, go-to-market strategy, check out the Market Penetration Roadmap. You can find that at strategy.rehabupracticesolutions.com. Basically, what we do is we help you refine your positioning. We do some market research and insight gathering and generation for you. We use that to align your product or your tool with your selected uh, healthcare stakeholder or target market. And then we develop a specific market penetration strategy that involves uh, business development enablement, um, providing the tools, resources that you would need or your salespeople will need to uh, get your product into the hands of clinicians who will use it. So again, if you like the, uh, the, the way that sounds, head on over to strategy.rehabupracticesolutions.com. All right, until the next time, folks, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcome Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.